0: Oh, hey man, how are we doing this morning, everybody? Not convinced. How are we doing this morning, everybody? Yeah, good, really glad that you're here this morning. Uh, My name is Chase, I'm the discipleship pastor here at Ignite Church. Uh, Man, today's a good day. Let me just preface by saying this, what you just experienced, what you just saw, was that not awesome? Was that not awesome? Training a young Training a generation of young people to read, study, love God's word—not just as an intellectual activity, but to know the Christ and the goodness of God in the Word of God. Right. So, to the students who just received your Bible, let me say this: We're not going to start in the kiddie pool. Okay, we're gonna be starting a new series this week in the book of Habakkuk. We're gonna be four weeks in the book of Habakkuk. I would give you some tips to try and find it. You're just gonna have to rely on the table of contents, okay? Um, little book about a big God. That's the book of Habakkuk. Okay, Habakkuk's a little book about a big God. And one of the questions that we got, I think, the most as we've prepared to start this series and talk to people about it um, is this. Why the book of Habakkuk? Right, 66 books to choose from, more well-known books to choose from, arguably coming from me, easier books to teach from. Okay, why Habakkuk? And simply put, this is the reason why. Uh, We believe, I believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for all things. All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful. Even the uh, the parts that get overlooked, even the parts that make us a little uncomfortable, the, the parts that are a little bit less known. All scripture is God's word, not just good words, but God's eternal word to us. Man, I love the Bible. I love the Bible because, let me tell you this, it has stood the test of time. How many of you know that the Bible is God's word to us when we open the Bible, we Get a word from God because it is the word of God. It's not just an ancient book. It's an eternal word. And the words uh, spoken thousands of years ago, preserved faithfully by men, carried along by the Spirit, are relevant for you and me today and have life-giving power today. So if you want to hear a word from God, open the word of God. How many of you know that this book has stood the toughest uh, criticisms? People with more degrees than Fahrenheit have tried to disprove and find contradiction in this book, but they cannot do it. This book stands because it's not just human words, it's God's word. With that being said, we're going to spend four weeks studying the little book of Habakkuk. And it's my prayer for you today that you, that this ignites, and no pun intended, and, and, and sparks a love for God's word, not just for today, not just for the next few weeks, but for a lifetime. I know it was for me three summers ago, I was studying the the little kind of obscure book of Ezra in the Old Testament, and yes, I spent a summer studying it, reading it. This is what I do. It probably doesn't come to a surprise for many of you. I, I love the Bible, and I love nerding out a little bit. And as I studied the book of Ezra, let me say this. God created and sparked in me, I don't know how else to say it, used it as a catalyst in me to grow my love for all of his word. It's when I became comfortable and literate or came to understand one portion of his word that I then gained confidence and passion for learning the rest of God's word. And so as I studied that book, I then wanted to see what other books of the Bible had to say and started studying those. And here I am and the people I talk to that have been walking with the Lord for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, they keep telling me the same thing. Read one book of the Bible Read it so much and get to know it so well that you can teach it to someone else. Then, when you've done that, go through another book of the Bible and do it again. Right? That's the journey as followers of Jesus. We get to read the very words of God for his people. And so, my prayer for you today is that this won't just be an intellectual exercise, uh, that this won't just be a, 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 a good, encouraging teaching. I pray it is that, but more than anything, I pray that this strengthens your foundation that this strengthens your reliance on the word of God. So as we study the book of Habakkuk, I invite you to grow in your love for and knowledge of God's word. I mentioned earlier that uh, Habakkuk is not just an ancient book. It's a timeless book. It's eternal. Um, Believe it or not, Habakkuk, uh, prophet of God and Israelite culture way out east in Palestine, Centuries, thousands of years ago, was dealing with the same problems you and I are dealing with today. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna see that, man, Habakkuk really had some issues with what was going on in the culture and the world around him. Let me say this. um, Whether you're religious or not in here today, I think we can all agree the world is not as it should be. The world is not as it should be right we we look out into the world and we are distraught we are frustrated we're upset frankly we're not okay with what's going on in the world this is why we have a love hate relationship uh with facebook and twitter right this is why we delete the app download it again delete it right Be- Because look, we we look out and we see on a geopolitical scale, on a relational scale, on an emotional scale, all of these problems with the world and frankly, whether you're religious or not, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, you're new to Jesus or you're just here because someone invited you, um, you've probably asked, where is God? If you're a Christian, you say, God, this is who you say you are, but where are you? Why can't I see your work in the world? That's where Habakkuk found himself. Maybe you're not following Jesus. Hey, love you, glad you're here. Religious or otherwise, you've probably looked and said, this is who people say God is. God, if that's so, where are you? I don't see you. And let me say this uh, to the Christians for a moment. It's okay to look out into the world and not be okay with what's going on. Maybe you grew up in a home or in a religious uh, society or in a church that said, You always have to be okay because God is who He said He is. You always have to put on face. You can't deal. You can't grieve with what's going on. You just have to keep pushing through. And you've never been able to process or really deal with the grief and the burden that we see when we look out into the world. Let me say this Habakkuk teaches us otherwise, God's word says otherwise. And if I can encourage you with something today from the word of God, it is this. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to lament. It's okay to look out and say, man, I am really torn. I'm really burdened. I'm really broken with what I see going on in the world. So I want to give you permission as we study Habakkuk to grieve and lament and bring out your frustrations with him because at the end of the day, When Habakkuk, and we'll see in a moment, goes to God in prayer, he gets to know a little bit more about who God is and how he works in the world. He walks in relationship with God. And as we walk it out in relationship with God, that's when we begin to see that God is ultimately working all things for his glory, for our good. There is a purpose to your pain. There is a purpose in your suffering. God is near, God is great, and God is good. And if we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk, that's really the big idea of the book of Habakkuk. God is great and God is good. I want to challenge you to think about this for a moment. Um, You probably, including myself, you probably have been known to put an or where God put an and. So when we say God is great and good, we tend to say God is great or good. Here's here's what I mean by that. If God is great, but he is not good, then we're in trouble because all he is is a power-hungry deity looking to carry out judgment on the world. He's powerful, great, right? If God is good, but he's not great, that means he's really no God at all because he has no power to do what he says he would do as God. We'll see in the book of Habakkuk today and over the next few weeks That God is not great or good, but the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity is both great, he's all-powerful, and he's good. He really, really loves you and desires a relationship with you. The book of Habakkuk reads a little bit like a prayer journal. How many of you keep a journal? There might be some of you that aren't raising your hand, you're a little embarrassed. Don't worry, I nerd out on journals, man. (laughs) Come talk to me after service about wood pencils, all over that. Love it, so fun. With that being said, the book of Habakkuk reads like a prayer journal. Habakkuk takes his tablets and his chisel or whatever and and writes these things down. He, He processes his prayer and his grievances and his concerns with God. And as he prays, he gets to know a lot about God's work in the world. And as he prays and as he hears from God, he learns that God is great and God is good. So I invite you today... And over the next few weeks, as we look in the book of Habakkuk together as a church, I invite you to behold a God who is great and good. A God who is powerful, yes, but a God who is loving. He is really, really good. That's Habakkuk's revelation. That's the understanding Habakkuk comes to as he looks out. He beholds and gets to know the character of God. So if you would, open your Bibles. Probably had enough time to get there, right? Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to go through the entire first chapter today. Uh, We're going to capture some of the big ideas of what's going on here. wish we had more time to dig into uh, the depths and plumb the depths of God's word, but I encourage you to do that as you go home, get into a life group, uh, read this, listen to it on your commute. There's Bible apps that actually read the Bible to you, so you can read on your way to work. So uh, listen to the words of Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed, justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted or distorted. So again, Habakkuk reads like a prayer journal and Habakkuk takes his, his, his prayer and his convictions and his burdens to paper and he writes it down. He goes to God and says, Lord, how long will you stand idly by as all of this destruction, all of this brokenness, this injustice, this oppression is going on around me? How long and why are you allowing this to happen? Church, again, Habakkuk starts right out of the gate by giving you and giving me permission to go to God with our frustrations. For many of you today, the next step is going to be seeing what's going on in the world and taking that to God in prayer. Habakkuk gives us permission to do this. How many of you can resonate with Habakkuk? How long, O oh Lord, will this continue to happen? Why, O oh God, are you allowing this to take place? Relational tension, brokenness, financial poverty, injustice, all of these things are driving us insane. And for Habakkuk, it's no different. And he goes to God. I want to say this about verses 1 through 4. Um, the Bible was definitely written for our benefit and for our good, but it wasn't necessarily written to us or in this day and age, right? So Habakkuk, what I'm trying to say, was written in a very real time. About 2,600 years ago is when Habakkuk would have written this as a follower of God, a worshiper of God. And so what caused him to go to his journal and write these things out was actually very terrible things happening in his uh, region and around him, in his city. Uh, Habakkuk would have been an Israelite, just to give you a little background. And uh, Israel was divided. Some of you might know this, the northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah. Habakkuk would have been in the southern kingdom of Judah around 600 B.C. How many of you know about the Bible is that God's people tend not to really do what they say they're going to do. They don't follow God very well. And so Habakkuk looks around, and he sees all this brokenness, this destruction, this uh, this terrible oppression going on around him and around the people of God. Um, It was only about 100 years before Habakkuk would have written this that the powerful nation of Assyria would have come in and completely wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. So Habakkuk's brothers, sisters, family members, and friends would have been wiped out, and he would have heard of this and saw this. Going on in Judah, right in Habakkuk's backyard, uh, he would have seen terrible idolatry, which is the worship of anything but uh, the God of the Bible. And so they were putting in the temple or in the uh, church, what they were doing was putting up these idols. Uh, One idol you may be familiar with is the god Baal, and that was the god of fertility in, in Near Eastern culture. And so what these Israelites would be doing is they'd be sacrificing their children in the name of Baal, and it was terrible then there was king josiah you can read about him in second kings and king josiah came and said we can't do this anymore he instituted this big reform for israel only to be followed a generation later by even greater evil and wickedness and idolatry so habakkuk is sitting in his study he looks out and he sees this and what would your response be god how how long are you going to allow this to happen why are you allowing this to take place? So he goes to God in his suffering, in his pain, and in his brokenness. He goes to God. Uh, evil really isn't a new thing, it might take different forms, but that's why I can say this book's a timeless book. It's a timeless word for us today because we can look out and we can say, God, why are you doing this? And we can resonate with Habakkuk. Justice goes forth perverted. The law is not upheld. Relationships are being broken. So we resonate with Habakkuk in his suffering and in his brokenness. We move on to verses 5 through 11. Habakkuk writes out his prayer and then God responds. This is a conversation in chapter 1 between Habakkuk and God. So God responds in verses 5 through 11 God says, look among the nations, Habakkuk, and see, wonder, and be astounded. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Let me just say this. God hears your prayer. God hears you. Just as he heard Habakkuk, he hears you as you cry out to him, as you go to him with the grief and the suffering that you're trying to process in the world. God hears you. Let me, let me ask you, how many of you have ever um, asked a question and then gotten an answer you didn't really like? Have you ever been there? I certainly have. Uh, you have two options when that happens. One, you can ignore it and act like that answer was never given. Or two, you can take that answer and say, okay, I'm just going to face it and deal with it. It's not what I like, but I'm going to do it. Habakkuk does the latter. And in verses 6 through 11, God gives Habakkuk an answer to the problem, uh, the problem of evil, the suffering that he's experiencing, and Habakkuk does not like the answer. Okay, let's look in verses 6 through 11 at God's response and God's solution to the problem that Habakkuk is facing. Verse 6, For behold, or look, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's another uh, term for the ancient empire of Babylon, the Babylonians, mighty world empire in 600 BC. So God says, Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Babylon is dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Let me pause there. Uh, What God is saying, he's describing the work of the Babylonians and the evil and the great violence they bring to people. So when he says in verse 7, Babylon's dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Uh, God is saying no one tells them what to do. Their moral compass is what they consider to be right and wrong. No one gives them Uh, instructions as to what to do justice and dignity go forth from themselves verse 8 their horses are swifter than leopards more fierce than the evening wolves their horsemen press proudly on their horsemen come from afar they fly like an eagle swift to devour if you're going head to head with babylon babylon's going to win that's what's going on here verse 9 they all come for violence all their faces forward they gather captives like sand If you invite Babylon to your party, they're going to come to devote you to destruction. That's what they want to do. They come for violence. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Any defense that you put up, Babylon is going to take it and laugh at it, as if it were just a joke. Verse 11. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose might is their God. They are so into themselves that they worship their prestige, power, and military Uh, victories. How many of you want to give them a seat at your table? No, right? It's a lot going on here. Here's what's happening. To give you a modern example, um, this would be like you and I crying out to God about the state and the moral decline of the American church And then hearing from God and God's response being, okay, I'm going to raise up a communist regime from the east to come and wipe out the American church. Right? What would we say to that? We would say, God, your solution is actually worse than the problem. Right? And so Habakkuk goes to God. He doesn't like his answer because God says, look, I am raising up the Babylonians the archetype of biblical evil. They're a wicked people. They have no respect for humans or for people. God says, I'm going to raise them up. And I'm going to use them to come in and bring judgment and devote to destruction my people in Judah because of their wickedness and brokenness. Naturally, Habakkuk doesn't like that response, right? We can resonate with him. And um, here's here's maybe the best way I can try and give you a handle. It's not a perfect illustration, but it's some handles I can try and give you as we, what do we do when God's will or God's work is something that makes us uncomfortable? What do we do when we know God is great and good, but his work seems to be contrary to that? We don't understand it. What do we do? Unfortunately, I don't have to unpack all this in the next 10 minutes together. Uh, we have a few weeks to go through it. But let me say this. Um, God's work is like a loom. How many weavers or knitters do we have in the room? you got to be loud and proud about this. Is there really not a... When you think of weaving, one tool you use is a loom. And what does this loom do? It holds the threads tightly so as you knit and as you weave things together, it allows you to form the foundation for a tapestry or a a beautiful work of art, right? God's plan, God's work in the world is a lot like a loom. When we are looking at God's work in the world, it's as if we're living beneath the loom And God is the artist, God is the, the creator on top of the loom, knitting together a beautiful tapestry. But have you ever looked underneath the loom? It is a mess of threads and it looks like there is no plan, there is no purpose, there is no organization, there's no beauty, there's no neatness to this. But as we live underneath the loom, We trust in the character and the artistry and the goodness of God who is above the loom outside of time and is working a beautiful tapestry together to work all things for his glory and our good. This is why some biblical writers will say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. This is why Paul in the book of Romans will say, how unsearchable are God's judgments? How inscrutable are his ways? That's just a knowledgeable way of saying, God, I don't understand all that you're doing. But this is why I say it's so important. For you and for me, to trust the character and get to know the work of God, get to know the, the goodness and greatness of God who is above the loom working all things for our good and his glory because we cannot see this side of eternity, all of God's ways and all of God's work. But when we trust a good and great God beneath the loom, even when it doesn't look good, even when it doesn't look great, we can trust that there is a master at work. There is a God who is in control, who is over the nations, who is orchestrating every affair, every broken thing that's happened to you, everything that you've done to someone else that you're not proud of, God is redeeming and working all of that for our good and his glory. That's, that's the work of God. And that's what Habakkuk's wrestling through. That's what Habakkuk's wrestling through. He doesn't like God's answer, but he's learning to trust God's character. Does that make sense? So Habakkuk goes to God again. And in verses 12 through 17, this is where we're gonna land the plane today. He shows us what it means to live in real relationship with God. What do we do when we know that God is great and good, but we don't really, really believe it? Or we don't see it. Habakkuk shows us in verses 12 and 13 specifically that it's okay to grieve and lament and live in real relationship with God as we process the difficult work of God in our world. Verse 12, here's what Habakkuk says. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained Babylon as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. He's coming to terms with God's plan and God's work even though he doesn't really like it. He's coming to terms with the fact that there's evil in the world. He's coming to terms with the fact that yes, there's pain and there's suffering and there's brokenness and he's processing this. He's grieving, he's lamenting. Let me say this again, what I said a little earlier. It's okay to not be okay. I give you permission with Habakkuk and with the word of God that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to look out into the world and say, I'm not okay with what's going on here. God invites you to bring your complaint and your frustration to Him. That's what Habakkuk does. He processes this grief in prayer. Verse 13, he goes on, he kind of turns the volume up on his complaint. He's really frustrated. How many of you have been there? Frustrated, irritated, not happy with things the way they're going. Verse 13, God, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Then he goes on to say, you make mankind like the fish of the sea. You like crawling things that have no ruler. So Habakkuk says, God, I know you created people in your image, but actually you're treating them like creatures and fish in the sea. Verse 15, he, the wicked foe, Babylon, shifts his focus to them again. Babylon brings all of their captives up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Habakkuk's saying, God, do you really know who Babylon is? Are you really using them to come in and exercise judgment on your people? Do you know their ways? He's processing grief. Verse 16, Therefore, the Babylonians, they sacrifice to their net, they make offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. They're making dishonest gain. They're loving the violence they're bringing to entire people, groups, and nations. That's Babylon. And here's how Habakkuk ends this entry of his prayer journal in verse 17. I want you to focus on this. Is he, is Babylon, is the enemy, then to keep on emptying his net, and mercilessly killing nations forever. Close the journal. Here's what's going on. Habakkuk is very masterfully showing God's people that it's okay to not be okay. And there indeed is no simple step one, step two solution to the problem of evil and the problem of suffering and brokenness and poverty and pain that we experience in the world today. Sometimes you just need to lament and grieve. For some of you, you your, your hearts might have grown so calloused because of things that have happened to you, things you've done to other people that you don't understand what it means to lament and to grieve in the hands of a good and great God. Habakkuk shows us that, look, when we look out, where else are we to go than to God in prayer? Here's here's what we're going to see over the next few weeks, and here's how I want to conclude our time together today. The biblical solution, the solution God gives to his suffering people is to walk in relationship with a great and good God. It's relationship. It's relationship. God says, look, I know you don't understand all of my work. I, I know you don't understand or can see all of my plans. But will you walk in relationship with me? Because I am Great. I'm raising up Babylon. They do nothing outside of my sovereign control or command. God is great. He is sovereign over nations. He's sovereign over your suffering. When we talk about sovereignty, we we mean that God has his domain, which is all things created, and God Oversees it and make sure all that happens comes to pass because of his will and his permission. Nothing happens outside of God's will. God is sovereign, he's the king over what has been created. Take heart, God is great. He is sovereign, he's present, he's great, he's sovereign over your suffering. Not only is God great, but he is also good. This is gonna take some time for many of you. God, I know you're great but it's hard for me to understand that you are good. It takes Habakkuk a while too. Not until chapter three can Habakkuk finally utter a praise to God. Let me encourage you. Feel free to take some time to lament and to grieve. God can handle it. But understand, even when you don't feel it, even if you don't fully know it, God is still good. Because he hears you when you cry out to him. He loves you. He desires a relationship with you. And let me conclude by saying this. As Christians, we worship a God. We trust in a God who is not removed from our suffering, but has endured suffering to the infinite degree. This is what sets Christianity apart from every world religion, every moralistic system of thought, In the world, it is that our God assumed human flesh in Jesus Christ and tasted the depths of suffering for you and for me with you and with me. So think about this. When Habakkuk cries out and says, How long, O Lord, we serve a God that on the cross cried out to his Father, 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 why have you forsaken me? We read just a few moments ago, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 14, where Habakkuk cries out and says, You've made mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling creatures that have no ruler. We're reminded that our God, Jesus Christ, was described in the Bible as a creature, as a lamb, who was led to the slaughter. Let me say this. God is great, he is sovereign over your suffering. God is good. He loves you and desires relationship with you in your suffering. And God is acquainted with your suffering. God in Christ lived a life under the law. He entered into human suffering and suffered in the place of all who will believe in him. That's the God we serve. God is great. God is good. And our God is not removed from our anguish, our pain, our suffering, our brokenness, our poverty, the injustice, the relational tension. He, he entered into all of that and he conquered it by his resurrection power. So just as Habakkuk chapter 1 doesn't end all neatly tied, um, I'm not looking to tie our time up together neatly. But here's what I want to do. I want to allow for you room to grieve. I want to allow for you room to uh, process the grief and process the, the suffering that you might be experiencing on an individual level, in your family, on a geopolitical level, whatever it is. Like Habakkuk did, I want to allow you room to respond and process in grief. But know this, when you hit rock bottom, when you process your grief with God, when you go to him in prayer, you will find that you're encountering a God who is great. He's sovereign over your suffering. He's good. He's present in your suffering. And he's tasted suffering himself in Jesus Christ. Let's close and pray together.